Welcome back to Internationally Syndicated Price of Business. I'm your host, Kevin Price, talking to you about you and your business. Always love chatting with Lee Kaplan. Uh, he is with the law firm of Smizer, Kaplan, and Veselka. He's also a mayor, a candidate, rather, for mayor of Houston, Texas, and a really interesting one at that. I uh, love what he brings to the race. I love the fact that uh, he has a fresh perspective, not part of the political class, and uh, you can tell that just by the questions he asks uh, his uh, the supporters and constituents along the way. Uh, he's very focused on what their concerns are, which is hard to find among uh, politicians. Lee, a little bit more about yourself and your candidacy and your website well, while you're at it. Well, I'm a Houston native. I uh, went to Bel Air High School, had a partial scholarship to Princeton from winning a chemistry contest in southeast Texas. Uh, went to Texas Law School, graduated with honors. Uh, in the meantime, I was an Eagle Scout, and I still do a lot of work with scouting, including a troop uh, in uh, Houston in Third Ward. And uh, my effort to become mayor has involved calling people up, asking them what they care about, finding out uh, what they care about the most, and raising money as a result. So. Over 85% of the money I've raised is from contributions by individuals, and the rest is my personal uh, contribution to my campaign, just to yeah, demonstrate yeah. that I have skin in the game. Yeah, which is very important. <laughs> Anyone ever involved in investing in a business is the very first thing the uh, uh, new investors want to know is how much skin do you have in a game? Well, this is very analogous to that in, in some respects. And I know a lot of the media has recognized the fact that uh, you have been extraordinary in uh, the fundraising for someone, particularly for someone, rather, not in the political class who, who do fundraising for a living. <laughs> That's what politicians do for a living. Right. Well, I don't. Uh, I, I haven't solicited PAC money, and uh, I haven't seen any PAC money. I simply call individuals and ask what they care about. Um, so I think that's important that the individuals in the city who care about the city uh, uh, have responded to me and contributed to my campaign, ranging from people who can only afford to donate 13 or 20 or 25 dollars to lawyers who have been adverse to me and uh, uh, despite that feel that I'm straightforward enough ethical enough that they've donated the max which is five thousand dollars so it's very flattering yeah, absolutely all right let's talk about uh, you know on any given show I've had comments in fact about whatever you're on it's fascinating because you talk about and I say authoritatively uh, not authoritarian <laughs> authoritatively on uh, be it federal state local be it county be it city not only Houston but around the country it's really interesting we get feedback about your diversity of uh, of uh, knowledge and information you bring to every segment Today, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the Supreme Court and the fact that this is a really different Supreme Court. It's one that, the, uh, in my opinion, that the uh, media tries to treat in almost a comical caricature 
uh, I think is a much more complicated court than it's given uh, credit for. Uh, it makes decisions that I, I do think you can look at and go, oh, that's ridiculous. And then it makes uh, a lot of decisions that are quite nuanced. And uh, I hear a lot about the uh, emphasis is on uh, radical right. I believe the emphasis is on getting different branches of government to do their role. I think that that's like the and it almost seems very bipartisan at that to a certain extent. Get get eight uh, branches of government to do their role. One example was the fact that they uh, weighed in on a uh, and, and uh, my memory blurred, but the Department of Labor had released regulations that were being seen uh, were brought to court because of the fact they were overreaching. And the court uh, agreed with the uh, plaintiff on that and uh, said, yeah, this is a job for Congress. There's nothing in the law or statute that this was based on that the agency could make this. It needs to go back to Congress to be dealt with. Well, the next thing, you know, here we are months later, nothing has happened. That hasn't changed. Uh, that the regulation, uh, it, it, it has not changed. And... Uh, I mean, everyone thought it was the first shot in, in a war on the administrative state, which is something conservatives like to talk about. Then you've got a crazy, I mean, outrageous map that the state of Alabama produced uh, for its elections that it was so clearly racially motivated. Uh, and, and, you know, sanctioned a district for blacks. Let's lump them all into here. We don't want, uh, you know, implying we don't want too, too many of those blacks uh, in these offices. It, it was outrageous. And this court said, yeah, this is outrageous. You, you need to go fix it. And the legislature got together and said, nah, we're not going to do that. And so what I, we hear a lot about constitutional crisis. It's, the phraseology is used flippantly. But these are a couple of examples of where we're going to get to the point where the courts aren't going to matter. And ultimately, that is the thing that uh, provides really important checks and balances. Well, the Alabama legislature apparently thinks that they'll just defy the United States Supreme Court. And uh, that would be a shocking precedent. Uh, unprecedented activity going back 200 plus years, and in in candidly, if you look at history, uh, there have been many times that, in this case, the Republican Party tries to jam as many voters who are minority voters who they believe are too liberal into a single district, and. On the one hand, you have the Voting Rights Act, which uh, commands, essentially, that there be opportunity districts where people of a certain race have an opportunity to elect representatives whose views and perhaps racial status is aligned with theirs. And uh, that's something that's happened many years, so that we have districts today that are truly gerrymandered. If you look at, for example, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee's district here in Houston, it circles around, it comes down, it's uh, clearly been uh, gerrymandered in such a way to guarantee that Congresswoman Jackson Lee will continue to be reelected. Or if she, you know, decides to retire, someone of African-American race will be reelected. And yeah. 
You can argue whether that's right or wrong, but it is a fact. And the U.S. Supreme Court in this case surprised a lot of court observers by saying that what the Republican legislature has done in Alabama is improper, that they've essentially jammed as many African-American voters into one district so as to prevent them from having an opportunity to elect representatives in two districts out of the seven. And the, the differential is pretty stark. So they may have surprised court observers, but most, I think most people think that that is something that would have been expected in a prior court. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think there's truth to that. Um, let's know. My concern is what is going to be the follow-up. What is going to be the response? Um, you know, and and I, I, clearly in this particular place, well, we're talking about there is an incentive for this executive branch for this uh, pursuit of minority voters, like it always has. That has been part of. Uh, uh, a big part of Biden's politics his whole entire career uh, has been to pursue, uh, particularly of blacks. He's worked really hard in that particular space. Um, what is the recourse for the other, you know, for the court to make sure this gets enforced? Well, eventually there'll be yet another trial. This is probably an attempt to delay that'll relate to the 2024 elections. I think ultimately the districts will be reconfigured and whether they'll be reconfigured cosmetically or reconfigured in in a way that actually gives African-American voters a chance to elect representatives who are also minority race uh, remains to be seen. How quickly the Supreme Court moves. I mean, this is similar to the civil rights uh, era where the Supreme Court issued Brown versus Board, there was a lot of resistance because they used the phrase with all deliberate speed. And then in 1955, there was a unanimous opinion saying enough is enough, desegregate now. And, you know, the court, I'm sure, is aware of institutional history that it is very difficult for the court to enforce its own mandates. The executive has to do that. If Biden is president, I think the executive will do that. If some conservative Republican is elected uh, in 2024, I have my doubts because that party seems to have gone down a different road. What's interesting is that the district court in the Alabama case was composed of, I think, true two Trump appointees. So, uh, um, it's somewhat, um, that's something that's been overlooked by a lot of people, but, uh, um, there's been a, been a spate of Trump appointees who have agreed that precedent requires, for example, the Alabama uh, districts to be reconfigured. Yeah, 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 I think, uh, well, and of course that's been part of DeSantis' campaign, right? DeSantis has said the kind of guys that Trump has appointed, he, he points at the, uh, at, uh, you know, some of the people that, uh, well, all the people that Trump appointed, uh, the three jurists that he appointed as wimpy, as soft on conservative issues compared to 
uh, Clarence Thomas, for example, which, you know, or Alito, you know, these are real conservatives. Those are the kind he could. So somehow in Trump world, not Trump world, but in DeSantis world, uh, Trump's people aren't conservative enough. I mean, it, it blows my mind. But, yeah, you're exactly right. There's a lot more nuance with these, these judges, both in the Supreme Court and throughout Trump's appointments. That, uh, that than what people are willing to give uh, credit for. I'm pretty sure now uh, Clarence Thomas would have an impossible time to get on, a, on the Supreme Court bench today, uh, although the Democratic, the way the Senate works, I guess it could. But uh, Alito blows my mind as well, although he was much more coy in his uh, presentation, if you recall. He did a pretty good job navigating questions, where Thomas is pretty pretty transparent. What you see is what you get, being actually one of the only to ever make it to the Supreme Court since Roe versus Wade, who said everything would be on the table and had to be reconsidered. He was actually much more mm -hmm. honest than a lot of these others uh, getting seated. You know, and, yeah. and I think being black helped him with that, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, at the time. Um, so I, I, I find your analysis interesting and uh, probably spot on. Um, that does seem to make sense. It does resonate, uh, uh, you know, uh, exactly the civil rights uh, movement legislation and Brown versus Board of Education. I do wonder, though, because this, this Biden administration has absolutely no incentive to uh, curtail regula regulations. The Democrats generally love using regulations if they can't get laws passed. What happens with the cases like the one with the Department of Labor? Well, that's a good question. I, you know, that's really unsettled because it basically means that the Supreme Court is now the agency and it can decide, you know, the standard is so unclear as to how important or how central something needs to be for the Supreme Court to intervene and say, that's the role of Congress. Um, I think the decision on forgiveness of student loans was really a limit on President Biden taking something away from Congress. But uh, this uh, decision uh, that relates to agencies is still way up in the air. And I don't know that people have uh, decided uh, or know which way that's going to go. So who the next appointee is to the U.S. Supreme Court will make a big difference. You know, all of them are fairly young. No one is in bad health. And uh, um, it just brings into focus the fact that while uh, Justice uh, Ginsburg was lionized by many liberals, she, by hanging on and preventing an, an earlier appointment, probably uh, uh, affected the course of history in a way that she might not have considered likely, uh, because yeah. Merrick Garland was was his confirmation was delayed, and as a result, now we have a court that's uh, decidedly conservative in the majority between Kavanaugh, yeah. Gorsuch, uh, Alito, Thomas, and uh, um, now our newest justice. You know, this is. This is a, a court which is uh, six to three conservative, and uh, things will have to change quite a bit for that to be different. But, you know, you add Barrett and Katanji Brown-Jackson, you still have not uh, uh, 
made this a more liberal court. So the Alabama decision was surprising. I think Chief Justice Roberts is very concerned about the reputation of the court, and I think he would have preferred, probably, not to have Roe v. Wade overturned, but it was. And uh, once the conservatives have bit between their teeth, there may be no stopping them. Very emboldened. Yeah, very emboldened. I, I, I think that I guess the only recourse when it comes to the agencies is that that gives a huge incentive for uh, businesses to challenge things from a regulatory state, uh, administrative state perspective and push them all the way to the courts. Of course, only rich businesses are going to be able to protect themselves from that, although uh, other businesses affected by it will benefit. But uh, they can continue to overturn things that, uh, you know, weaken the state one decision at a time. But, man, that's really exhausting. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting, and I think you uh, nailed it. There really isn't a mechanism for this because I do believe that historically uh, we had a much greater respect for rule of law in this country. Clearly, both parties, well, both the, the rest all of levels of is... government – that's not the case anymore, in my opinion. Because, you know, the Supreme Court says if you don't like something, go to Congress. Well, congressional deadlock, where we currently have a Senate that is barely a Democrat majority and a House which is a Republican majority and, and itself split between radical Republicans and more moderate Republicans, it's very unlikely that things will change. If you don't like an agency ruling, if you uh, are, are if the Supreme Court overturns an agency ruling and you want it codified into law, that is to say, if you are, quote, unquote, more liberal in your uh, leanings, you're unlikely to be able to get something through Congress because deadlock is the order of the day there. Until the yeah. House is flipped by Democrats, I think, or the Senate is flipped by Republicans, we're unlikely to get anything done. And... Uh, some people are comfortable with that because they think Congress is too active and they just assume they'd be tied up and not get anything oh, yeah. done. But that's yeah. a little bit scary for the country that we have a bureaucracy um, and a deadlock that we just can't seem to resolve. It puts a lot onto the president and then onto the Supreme Court to make rulings. And that's, that's a little bit scary uh, and dangerous Absolutely. because it brings disrespect to the rule of law. If if just who wins the election determines everything each time, or deadlocks everything each time, then our government is ineffectual. Yeah, absolutely. Lee Kaplan, always love having you on the program. Give that uh, website for your uh, campaign so people learn more about that. It's uh, kaplanforhoustonmayor.com. And uh, obviously yeah. there's a donate button. I've been raising money. Uh, that way, but uh, you know, people uh, take a look at the website. I speak with a lot of them, and very few people just donate without contacting me. And I, and I get to find out what they care about the most, which uh, seem to be crime, congestion, and and infrastructure, which includes flooding, picking up the garbage, and then just dealing with the city bureaucracy. You know, for example, yeah. for housing permits. Well, that's what people care the most about, and we have to respond. The mayors of cities have to keep the lights on and have to make the cities work. We don't get to make as many speeches 
We just have to perform. Yeah. Very good. I, yeah. And uh, I like that. No nonsense is what we need. There's no nonsense. Lee Kaplan, thanks so much for being with us. I am Kevin Price. This is The Price of Business. Thank you.